born and raised in Bulgaria. Living in my country was really difficult. We weren't able to get things like school supplies, textbooks. Mostly we had to share the things we got. It was really hard for us because we weren't able to have things that were just our own. My parents actually separated. My mom began to struggle being a single parent to twins, just making sure we go to school and are fed that day. It was very hard for us. Not having a dad was even harder. Um, that is when my grandma stepped in and she introduced us to Jesus. She told us that we were loved and we were cared for. She started taking us to church. As a child, I remember it had a really big impact on us. One of the Sundays, it was around Christmas time. We went to church, our pastor prayed for us. We were told that we just need to line up and there'll be some kind of a surprise. Our pastor made us turn around. There was a giant pile of really, really nice looking boxes. I have never seen so many colorful boxes and I got really excited. And the box was white, they had a green lid. We just had to wait until we get home. And once we were actually able to get home, we opened the box. My box had a lot of stuff. They were all for me. One of the presents I received was a juggling set, which I still have with me. I wasn't able to speak English, so the juggling set actually came with the instructions. So I was able to look at the little pictures, and that's how I was able to learn how to play the juggling set. The box was a lot more than just a present for me. It was more of um, God's proof that He cares for me. He makes sure He meets all of my needs. I was able to come here around 2005 and my church that I got connected with was also packing shoe boxes. I actually started participating in 2016 and I was packing boxes. For me the shoe box was more like a seed. It was planted and it was also part of God's promise to me that He takes care of it with little things that I didn't have. He answered all of my needs. For children like me, it meant the world.
me out of freedom into the promised land. And now I will not forget you, God. I'll sing of all you've done. Death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love. You stepped into my Egypt and you took me by love. to somebody else, and we're glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. I knew you were there. I can see you. Well, God's good. All the time, He's good. And the song that we just sang just reminds us of what our incredible God has done for us, taking us from the life of despondency and despair. And he's brought us into a life of hope. And so we can come into this place this morning and worship him unhindered, knowing that he is our God. And he is our Lord and he's our Savior. He's our shepherd. He's our soon and coming king. And so we're so glad that each one of you are here this morning. We have some special guests here this morning. We have here next to me Stephen and Haley Wyland. Did I say that right? All right. Wonderful. And uh, there are um, some missionaries that we support, and so we're just going to ha- have a little conversation here, and we're going to pray for them, and uh, they're getting ready, I believe, to go to the mission field. So what, uh, tell us what mission organization you're with. We are with Mission Aviation Fellowship. Stephen is the aircraft mechanic, and we will... Should I say what? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. MAF has been around for 77 years. They have a great standing overseas in many different parts of the world. We serve specifically in isolated parts of the world that make it impossible to reach unless the airplane is able to take missionaries there. And we provide services for a lot of people to get to these isolated areas to provide help, hope, and healing in different forms. So for many of these isolated peoples, help really comes in the form of a plane. 
and were able to bring a lot of resources and pastors, Bible translators, and different humanitarian aid projects and healing projects use our services. Wonderful. And tell us um, where are you headed? You're off to the mission field, I believe, for the first time? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, We're headed to Africa in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's the large country in Central Africa, and we'll be serving in Kinshasa, which is the capital. It's a fairly large city, about 13 million people, and uh, we're excited to go, and our primary role will be servicing the airplanes, and uh, we're hoping that God will open up some discipleship opportunities. Wonderful. And when do you leave? December 27th. Okay. We just got our visas. Oh, wonderful. All right. Now, um, and uh, are you going to be going to language, language school or you're just going to go straight straight off to Africa? Yeah, we go to language school first. We'll be in Albertville, France for 11 months for French language study. And then we'll go directly from there to the DRC for two years. We'll have a mini furlough and then we'll have four years between the furloughs from then on. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> and tell us your and this is Adeline wonderful well let's um, pray together and uh, let's pray for them as they head off and so they'll be leaving in a few few weeks and a new adventure for them lots of transitions so let's pray together father we thank you so much that you have called each one of us to uh, go and make disciples and we thank you for calling Stephen and Haley and their daughter to uh, go and uh, use their gifts and their abilities with, um, with uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship. And so, God, we pray that as they head off, that uh, all of the packing, all of the stuff that needs to get overseas will get there in a timely manner, and that as they start learning the language, God, we ask that you'd bless them. May it come quickly. And then when they do finally get to actually get to the field, Lord, we just ask that you'd use them mightily and that you would anoint them and bless them and that they would be able to make disciples for your honor and your glory so that one day we can rejoice together as we see um, faces in the kingdom of heaven because of this couple and many others that have gone and obeyed your call in their lives. So we ask that you would bless them and we thank you for providing their each and every need in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here with us today. And I believe they have, they have a table out there um, in the foyer. And so I encourage you to check that out and go by and um, encourage them. So a lot going on. And as you can see behind me, we have a number of flags. And there's a number of you that have uh, given of your time. And you've stayed away from family. And you've gone places and you've served this country in a wonderful and remarkable way. And if you are a veteran, would you please stand? You can remain standing. Let me pray for you, and I'm also going to pray for the offering as we continue to worship God through our giving, and then we're also going to continue to worship God through song. And so let's pray together, and then the ushers will come and um, serve. Father God, we are so grateful that you are a God that watches over us and that cares for us. And we thank you that, um, Jesus, you gave and sacrificed your life. And all of these men and women that are standing 
have sacrificed their time and their lives on behalf of this country. And we do not take that for granted. And so we honor them this morning. We say thank you for your service. And uh, Father God, we ask that you would bless them and their families and the many others that, uh, that are uh, currently serving as well. And we thank you that because of them, we can live here in this country and we can gather together this way this morning without fear, but knowing that we can worship you freely. And so we don't take that for granted, but we rejoice in you for that freedom of being able to worship you. And so we continue to worship you, God, in spirit and in truth. We give you our lives this morning. We also give you um, back a portion of our resources and obedience to you. We ask that you would take it as an act of worship and that you would anoint it and use it. And we also pray now that as we lift, continue to lift up our voice in song, that these lyrics would be planted in our hearts. We would be reminded of who you are, God, and what you've done for us and an opportunity for us to say we love you, we praise you, and we worship you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for sending your son to die on that cross for us, God. And thank you for allowing our veterans to serve and and give us the freedom so that we can be here today and worship you and lift up your name and and gather together without any repercussions, God. We We owe it to you. We owe everything to you. And just watch over Pastor Tom as he opens up the word and just open up our hearts to receive the message. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team. I had the privilege this week to um, sit down with a precious child of God this week. Um, I've just been getting to know this gentleman. And uh, we kind of got talking about, um, he got off on kind of telling me about his life, and we were talking about music, and he was telling me how much he enjoys, he enjoys music, and in fact, I found out that he used to play the piano, which always interests me when I hear that, that someone says that. Um, Unfortunately, he's not able to uh, play any longer, but he grew up playing in church, and then that turned to him telling me that um, for the, I think about the last 40 years or so, he um, has been an, a pastor and he told the Lord that he was going to go to churches that couldn't afford a pastor. And uh, so he had a regular job, but he went out and he pastored and he told me of a church that had called him to come and preach for them. And so he went and he preached for them a few Sundays. There's about 25 people and uh, he, um, he just was feeling in his heart that the church needed to close the doors. And the people, of course, didn't want that to happen. And so he finally said, well, tell you what, next Sunday we're going to put it to a vote. And then whatever that vote is, that's what the results will be. And so they, everyone started talking at this meeting, and it seemed like that everyone was saying no. And then... Uh, little girl, about 12 years old, stood up and said, can I say something? And, she, and they said, yes. And she said, um, 
Well, before I say that, let me add one more thing, that he had talked about closing the doors of the church and possibly buying an actual church, because they weren't meeting a church, there was a church in town that was for sale, and he was encouraging them to close these doors and move to this church. And so the little girl stood up as they were talking and discussing, and she said, um, isn't one soul worth $10,000 from a 12-year-old girl? And, of course, immediately the vote went the other way. And later that day, one of the families was around their dinner table, and um, someone knocked on the door, um, just some from the, someone from the community. They didn't even know them. And he had a check in his hand, and he said, you can have this check if your church will buy, if your, if your congregation will buy the church. And he handed it to them. And it was for the exact amount of money that they needed for the down payment. The first Sunday, they had 75 people in the church. And this man had the opportunity to be used by God to help this church transition. And then he also took the time to disciple the pastor and then was able to leave them in a healthy place. And the church, I understand, is still going today. Discipleship. Growing disciples. We've been in the book of Acts for some time. And as we continue our study today, I want to remind us of what Jesus said back in chapter 1 of Acts in verse 8. Jesus told his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. By the power of the Holy Spirit, each one of us who is a Christ follower are to tell people about Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us and all of mankind. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said this, the Great Commission, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even to the ends of the age. Go make disciples, teaching them all. God wants every Christ follower to be a disciple maker. First, through evangelism, being his witness. And second, by teaching each other and the disciples of Jesus to obey all the commands that Jesus has to give us. Well, this morning we're in the book of Acts 18, chapter 18. So if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 18, either in your Bibles or if you use your mobile device. But Acts chapter 18, and we're going to be looking at the second half of this um, chapter, Acts 18, beginning with verse 18. And uh, we're going to take the second part of making disciples lived out before us which is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so up to this point, we've seen the church. They've been growing. They've been evangelizing. We've transitioned to Paul, and we've been seeing his missionary trips and him evangelizing and making disciples and being, being God's witness. But today, the Holy Spirit in, in, in the half, last half book of Acts he takes a turn and he kind of pushes the pause button and he allows us to see a number of people that God used to um, make disciples and to grow disciples. So if you would stand with me 
And we'll read together, if you're able to, Acts 18, beginning in verse 18. God wants every Christ follower to be disciple makers. This raises the question, then, what are the characteristics of a disciple maker? Let's read. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sencria, he uh, had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again, if God wills, he set sail for from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquitted, acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achei, I think, the brethren um, encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. You may be seated. Thank you. God, as we look at this text, Holy Spirit, we ask you to reveal yourself to us in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Now, from last week's text, we looked at the earlier, <clears throat> the first verses there in um, chapter 18, and we saw that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the believers the word of God. Then if you remember, the Jews took Paul to court and the proconsul threw the case out and um, God used the proconsul to bring protection for Paul in which we see God's protection on behalf of Paul. And because of this protection, verse 18 of our text tells us that Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time Instead of having to flee for his life. And every time that we've seen him bump up against persecution or bump up against conflict, he's always had to either immediately leave the town or he's been beaten. Uh, or So he's been persecuted for the gospel. But this time, the Lord um, delivered him from those circumstances and he was able to stay even longer um, in, in Corinth and he didn't have to flee for his life, and he didn't have to endure any physical harm. And so this brings us to our first point, which is this. Disciple makers invest their time in other believers. Growing disciples is an investment. It takes time. <clears throat> it takes patience. And if you've ever had the opportunity to um, 
maybe lead someone that just came to faith in Jesus, um, it uh, can sometimes uh, be a challenge because um, when somebody confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they are saved. That's what Romans 10, chapter 10 tells us. And this happens immediately. The new birth, um, the miracle of the new birth is instantaneous. But they're beginning, but then begins our journey of transformation. I've heard one person say that if you have a person who was, had a hot temper and he was ornery, well, if he got saved, now you have a Christian who has a hot temper and who's ornery. And so it, some people, and maybe there's some of you in this room, the minute you, you um, believed in Jesus and accepted him as your Lord and Savior, man, habits fell off, your personality changed, and people were incredibly um, amazed at the transformation in your life. And so that can happen instantaneously at well. But more the norm is, is that it takes time. And God does the transformation from the inside out. And so all that got changed when we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior was our heart, was our soul. And God took our heart of stone and he gave us a heart of flesh. And now we have the process of now learning who God is, what he's done for us, and learning who he wants to be now that, he, now that we belong to him. So the work of the Holy Spirit begins to change us from the inside out. Behaviors and actions, the way we talk, the way we treat others, our desire for God's way of living begin to then show up on the outside. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us this, beginning in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Disciples of Jesus who are growing can see and reflect the glory of God. The Holy Spirit makes us more and more like Jesus as we are changed into his glorious image. And disciple-makers are willing to invest their time in other Christ followers' lives because the reward of seeing a precious soul look more and more like Jesus each and every day is amazing and it's incredible. And so if you've ever had the opportunity to see and take somebody by the hand and see and watch how God has transformed their lives and changes them from the inside out, it takes time, it takes an investment, and we need to be patient as disciple-makers. Well, as we continue, uh, feeling confident that there was sufficient leadership in the church in Corinth, um, Paul takes leave of the Christians there. He's accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. We met them last week. And they were tent-makers like Paul. And Paul, had, um, when he got to Corinth, he hooked up with them, and they made tents together. And I'm sure that during that time of tent making, there was lots of conversations about who Jesus was. Quill and Priscilla were already believers when they met Paul, but I'm sure that God used Paul in their lives to uh, help make them disciples and grow them up. And so uh, they were close friends of Paul, a husband and wife team. 
Um, They partnered with him in ministry, even risking their lives for him. The book of Romans, Paul tells us that. And just before they set sail, Paul gets his hair cut because he is keeping a vow. Here we are, we're reading along, and then all of a sudden we've got this thing throw in. What in the world is Paul taking a vow for, and why is he cutting his hair? What is that all about? Well, let's remember that God had delivered Paul from persecution in Corinth. And so he took what's called a Nazarite vow. And he did that to express his gratitude to God. And so um, he wanted to show his gratitude. It's, and a Nazarite vow is a special pledge of separation and devotion to God. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, we can read about this Nazarite vow. And you've got to remember that Paul, even though he's a Christian, he's still a Jew. And he's still very Jewish. And we need to remember that Judaism wasn't an, an, an a religion. It was actually a lifestyle, just like Christianity. And so Paul was still ingrained with um, being a Jew. And so he decided this is the way that he could express his thanks for God. Number six, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dry grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine, from the seeds even to the skin." All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the day until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of his hair on his head grow long. So at some point while he's in Corinth, um, Paul makes this vow of gratitude to separate himself. And so he probably did exactly everything that we just read. He, took, he didn't take any wine. He let his hair grow. That was the outward symbol of what he was doing. And so this, um, this vow could last anywhere from 30, 60, sometimes 100 days. Also in, the, in, in Paul's day, if someone made the vow while away from Jerusalem... At the termination of his vow, he would shave his head, as Paul did, and afterwards present the hair at the temple within 30 days. So Paul makes this vow. He consecrates himself to the Lord. And so he's getting to the end of the vow, and now he shaves his head. And this is one of the reasons that he has left now Corinth, because now he needs to get to Jerusalem and take that hair to the temple. And so just like Paul Um, Actually, because we're Christians, God already um, sets us aside and we've been um, uh, specially uh, for him. And he calls us to be holy as he is holy. But sometimes even as believers, it's uh, good to uh, sometimes say, "Okay, God, I'm going to pledge to you that I'm going to fast or I'm going to go and I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Or I'm going to do something extra. I'm going to maybe give up um, my phone for a while. Or maybe I commit to you, Lord, that for X amount of time, um, when I come home, the phone goes in the box and I spend time with my wife and family. And so these are all good things that we can do. And this is basically what Paul did. And so he made that vow. And uh, so the vow made 
He's taking him back to Jerusalem so that he can properly terminate it. This is the reason he's headed towards Syria. The, the boat um, lands in Ephesus, probably couldn't make the whole journey, so it lands in Ephesus. And uh, remember that Priscilla and Aquila went with him. And so um, he uh, left Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus, possibly to, uh, to uh, maybe plant a church, to stay there and encourage the believers that were there. But he left them there, and while the boat is docked for a little bit, he heads to the synagogue, which is always his practice, and he's preaching to the Jews. And the Jews um, are really impressed by his teaching and want to learn more for, from him. And they ask him to stay, but he declines again. He's got to get to Jerusalem to uh, fulfill his vow. And so from Ephesus, Paul sails to Caesarea. He heads to Jerusalem to complete his vow. He pays respect to the church in Jerusalem, and then he goes on to Antioch. Now remember, Antioch Church is the church that sent Paul on his first missionary trip with Barnabas. And so he was very close with the people in, in uh, Antioch. In fact, the Jerusalem church sent he and Barnabas there to help um, figure out some things. We, we studied that earlier in the book of Acts. And so he's there. He probably takes some time to just rest a little bit after he's been gone for quite some time. And so this was a homecoming. He spends some considerable time with him. Um, the Christians in Antioch very likely getting some rest, being encouraged by these believers, and in turn encouraging them. And so that takes us up to uh, verse 23. And um, our next point that we're going to look at um, Disciple-makers strengthen, build up, and encourage other believers. Acts 18, verse 23, And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region in Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And so this is the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. And so... It's interesting to note that he retraces his steps. The first missionary journey he took, um, then the second one, he went to those same places. And now on, in the third journey, he goes to those same places again and to all of the locations where the, he had been before um, through Galatia and, and whatnot. And, uh, but this time it's different because every time that he had gone there before, he went straight to the synagogue. He went straight to the synagogue to preach to the Jews. But this time on this third trip, when he goes to these towns, he doesn't go to the Jewish synagogue. He goes straight to the churches that have been planted in these towns. And as we just read, the purpose of this journey is to strengthen, build up, and encourage believers. And so we as discipleship makers should be encouraging each other. And we should be about building each other up, strengthening each other, and reminding each other every time we see each other who we are, what we've done, supporting each other when people are down, and, uh, and encouraging and lifting people up. So Paul reminded the churches what he had taught them previously. He reminded them of God's faithfulness and character. And then Paul would write in Colossians 3.16 this. He said, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, 
with all wisdom, notice here, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving, thankfulness in your hearts to God. They're the word teaching and admonishing. So admonishing can mean correcting, but admonishing can also be just reminding one another of what God wants us to be, of who we are in Christ, of what he's done for us, and how we should be about the Father's business. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us a similar thing. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We all get tired, right? Life happens. Life can hit us. And sometimes life's not really fair. And sometimes we have great days. And so we're all in different parts on our on this journey called life. We're also in different places on our spiritual journey that we're going through as we grow up in God and in Christ and becoming more and more like Him. And so notice some things in this verse here that it says, um, Don't let any one of you an evil believing heart that falls away from the living God. I just heard a story just the other day of how somebody had gone through uh, a situation in their life. They had been a believer and they had been, um, you know, following Christ. And then a crisis happened and that just seemed, that rocked their whole world of faith and they were asking a lot of questions and they didn't, they were wondering and feeling like they didn't feel the support from other believers. And so, um, this is why God tells us that it's so easy for all of us, and it doesn't take long. We seem sometimes that we're going on along and we're going really good, and then all of a sudden something can happen, and uh, fear will enter in, anxiety enters in, hopelessness enters in, and maybe despair. Um, and so that's why it's important that we encourage one another. But the only way we can do that is if we're connecting with each other, and if we're um, staying together. And that we're uh, lifting each other in prayer and we're strengthening each other. Again, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice that deceitfulness. Sin doesn't just come in and bowl us over. It creeps in. And if we're not careful, it can get a foothold. And so we want to hold fast to the beginning of the assurance that we had when we accepted Jesus. Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Other translations say spur one another on to good deeds. And that's what we're supposed to be about. Encouraging one another and saying, hey, don't act that way. Let's act this way. Let's um, be about good deeds. Let's be about the Father's business and encouraging one another and showing people that there is a God and that he cares for us. And then that goes on. um, Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together. Christianity is not an I sport. It's a team sport. 
And it takes all of us. And if we're just by ourselves, um, siloed and trying to do life on our own, it doesn't work that way. God always intended for us to be a part of a family. That's why he created the family units we, that we're part of. But then um, just in this physical world, but then we're part of a spiritual family. And it's so wonderful to know and be reminded that God isn't just here in this four walls. Right? He's doing stuff on the other side of the globe, even right now. And people are being saved and believers are being built up and his work and his mission and his and the gospel is going forth and lives are being changed for eternity. So let's not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. But again, here we go, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back soon. It may be 50 years from now, but that's soon. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back, and we're going to see him. And so we need to be encouraging one another. We need to be staying together and sticking together like glue. Now, while Paul's doing all of this, and he's going and retracing his steps and encouraging and strengthening and building up all of these other churches, now we rewind and we go back to Ephesus because Paul's over here doing this thing, but now something's happening in Ephesus. So look with me at verse 24 of our text this morning in Acts 18. We see this. <clears throat> now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This is the first time we meet Apollos. And he's a pretty incredible guy. Let's take a look at it. First of all, it's important to know that he was a Jew. And he was born and raised in Alexandria, which is in Egypt. And Alexandria was home to a large community of Jews at that time. If you remember, when, uh, so, uh, so the Jew, large community of Jews. And Apollos, so he wasn't just raised by his immediate family. He was raised in a Jewish community with all the traditions, rituals, and synagogue training any child would have received if he had been in the land of Israel. And so he was part of this Jewish family, and he grew up learning the scriptures. And it says that Apollos was an eloquent man. So this means he had the gift of communication. He was articulate. He was expressive. He spoke with clarity, power, and effectiveness. And he was probably without equal as a speaker. And so here he comes in and he's, he's this person who really knows how to communicate. And then the next part of the verse that we just read, he was mighty in the, in the scriptures. And this is referring to the Old Testament. Apollos was an Old Testament scholar who could present it with absolute power. He was a powerful man in terms of teaching. And so when he spoke, people listened. And we've all had teachers like that where, you know, some of those, they talk and, wow, they just draw you in. And some others may or may not. And so he was one of those that had the gift. He was very eloquent, very easy and pleasing to listen to. And he could present the material and understandable. 
In verse 25, it continues to describe Apollos. This man, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So let's just break this down for a minute. Instructed in the way of the Lord. This phrase does not include the Christian faith. This, the Old Testament uses this phrase to describe the spiritual and moral standards God required his people to observe. And so just like we learned about Paul, Paul was, was a very zealous person about his Judaism, and he was zealous for the word of God. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as we know, and he was, he was zealous for God, and he knew the scripture, and he knew what he thought before he met Jesus, what it was all about. And this is the same way with Apollos. He knows the scripture, says he's mighty in scripture, so he could really have a great conversation with you. And he could he probably was on the debate team and uh, wiped out anybody and everybody that would try to debate with him. And so that's what we're talking about here is that this phrase, the um, instructed in the way of the Lord. Again, it shows that he grew up in the system of, of Judaism and we see this phrase for the first time in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he had spoken about him. So there we see the way of the Lord referring here in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel, and there's many, many other verses as well. 2 Samuel, again, we see it in chapter 22, verse 22, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. Again, that the structure of moral character that God wanted and that he gave to the children of Israel. I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God. So the way of the Lord refers to a code of conduct and even though Apollos was, um, we notice that the next phrase is, is that Apollos was speaking and teaching about Jesus. And it says that he was speaking and teaching about Jesus accurately. And so somehow he knew about Jesus. However, it was only up to the point of John the Baptist ministry. <clears throat> That's what that means by the baptism of John. And so the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. Remember that John the Baptist was out there in the wilderness and he said, repent for the Messiah is coming. Get right. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And John's job was to prepare the way of the Lord. We see that phrase again, the way of the Lord. And so the way of the Lord that we see throughout the Old Testament through the code of conduct and the way that the children of Israel were supposed to act comes down here into the ministry of John and <clears throat> talking about now to prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way for the Messiah. And so um, despite his knowledge of the Old Testament, Apollos did not fully understand Christian truth. John's baptism was to prepare Israel for the Messiah's arrival. However, he accepted that message that John taught 
even acknowledging that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's Messiah. He did not, however, understand such the basic truths of Christianity as the significance of Christ's death and resurrection, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the church is God's new witness um, that the church of God is God's new witness people. He knew the baptism of anticipation, not the baptism of accomplishment. He knew the baptism of a looking forward to and not the baptism of a fulfillment. Now, even though Apollos only knew what about Jesus up to John's Baptist, the Baptist ministry, verse 25 says he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning God. I think that's very interesting that we want to point that out because Apollos wasn't just teaching whatever he thought. Apollos was teaching what he knew the scripture taught and he was doing it accurately. Um, And Apollo taught what he knew with accuracy. He was not a heretic, in other words. And so I think that's very important because sometimes um, we think, well, if someone's not talking um, accurately or talking the way that I think they should be talking, then they're a heretic. But um, Luke, the writer of Acts, is very um, particular here. So Apollos was faithful to the scripture up to John's baptism, and then he ended his teaching. And so we see that in the next verse, we're going to see that he went to the synagogue and he taught and he taught everything that he knew and he taught it accurately. But then but he only was able to teach it up to John's baptism. Do you remember the first time you saw a widescreen TV? Right. Most of us have grown up with that little square box. And you'd look at that picture and you'd always wonder, well, what's on the right side of that screen next to that guy holding the bag? You know, or they'd be talking about some horse or about some house. And it's like you couldn't see it because it was off camera. Right. Because in this little square, we could only see so much. But what happened when widescreen came? It took that little box and it went. And now you got to see things that you never had seen before. And it's the same thing with us and the same thing here with Apollos. He didn't know that Jesus had died. He didn't know that Jesus had rose again. He only knew that, okay, Jesus is the disciple, but he didn't know, hadn't been taught the redemptive work of what Jesus did and why he was the Messiah. And so we've been there, right? When we all became Christians, what did we know? We knew that once I was blind and now I see. That's all we knew. And so until we started to grow, then we found out one day that, uh, you know, that Jesus loved us incredibly. And that not only did he love us, but he took that love and he put it in our hearts. And he and with the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, now go love the way that I love. And then we got to first Corinthians chapter 13 and we found out, wow, look at all this stuff about love. It's kind. It's patience. It doesn't easily get angered. It never fails. And so. Right. We didn't know what the book of Ephesians said. We didn't know what the book of Galatians and it wasn't until. Either someone took the time to teach us or we read God's word for ourselves that 
we were able to understand more about the Christian life, more about who Jesus was. And I remember, for me, early in ministry, I knew about worship, and I knew that we were supposed to worship God, and I knew that we were supposed to sing to Him, and all of these different things. But then a book came across my desk, and it's, the title was, Worship as a Way of Life. And when I read that, It just transformed my life, understanding that God, yes, he wants my vocal praise, but even above that, he's interested in me. He wants me. And you've heard me talk about John 4 when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. The Father God wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. But then there, and we most of us stop right there. But the next phrase is the most important one. These are the type of worshipers that the Father seeks. See, God's not seeking our worship. He's seeking us. He's seeking a relationship with us. But until I knew that, until I read this book, I didn't know that. Again, that widescreen TV going like this and allowing me to see more and more of who God is. And so this takes us to our third point, that disciples makers study and know God's word. Apollos took the time he was mighty in the scriptures. And so he studied God's word. Second Timothy 2 tells us to be diligent, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Second Peter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should be growing and knowing and learning more of God's word. And that takes time and that takes um, a studying it. In Proverbs 4, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Notice it says, give attention, pay attention to my word. Don't let it depart from your sight. Keep it in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all of their body. And so we as believers, as disciple makers that God desires us to be, it's important that we know the word of God and not only that we know it, but that we accurately take the time to teach it. And unfortunately, there's sometimes been people that haven't been quite as accurate when they're teaching or when they're talking even one-on-one with other people. And so it's very, very important that we want to accurately teach the Word of God. So discipleship makers study and know God's Word. Discipleship makers point people to Jesus by teaching the Word. Continuing on in verse 26, It says that Apollos began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So again, we talked about that he talked about John's baptism and he ended there. And Priscilla and Aquila, because they had become Christians and they had spent time with Paul, they knew what Apollos was uh, missing. But notice they didn't slap his hands. That's not what we do as discipleship makers. We don't slap someone's hand just because they don't know someone. He didn't know what he didn't know. And so, but God used them in his life to explain the rest of salvation story. 
that Jesus died, was buried, rose on the third day for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help people live for God and be his witness and disciple makers. And so here, Paul had taken the time to invest in Aquila and Priscilla's life, and now they're taking the time to invest in Apollos' life. And in fact, in the book of um, one of the Corinthians, Paul talks about Apollos, and he says, Corinthians, you guys keep arguing because you keep saying, well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of... Cephas, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Christ. And so here we see that here this gentleman that we're talking about, he got thrown in to the same mix as Paul and Cephas. And that was God's plan, that he would come to Ephesus, meet with Priscilla and Aquila, and find out the rest of the story, because God still had more work for him. And in fact, we see in the last two verses of our text this morning, that um, Apollos wanted to go to Corinth. The brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So we see that he learned the rest of the story. He, um, he accepted the rest of the story. And now he's being sent off by the church in Ephesus to go to Corinth. And what does he do now? Having been discipled, now he's becoming a disciple maker. And he encourages the believers in, in uh, Corinth. And not only that, he goes into the synagogue and God uses him to demonstrate from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So disciples makers invest their time in other believers. Discipleship makers strengthen, build up, and encourage other believers. Disciple makers study and know God's word. Disciple makers point people to Jesus by teaching the word. I want to encourage you, precious child of God, that each one of us in this room are uniquely created by God. We have unique gifts and personalities. And He has chosen each one of us to be a disciple maker. And disciple making happens in many different forms. Sometimes it happens one-on-one. Sometimes it's a small group. Sometimes it's just a couple couples meeting together on a regular basis. Sometimes it's in a larger Bible study. Right here, this is a discipleship um, making time. And so there's many different ways. Sometimes you may not know it, but you could be a disciple maker just by having called somebody and encouraging them or praying for them on the phone. Sometimes God brings people into, into our lives where we have a long extended relationship with that person. But then there's other and many times when maybe we only have this contact or that contact. Priscilla and Aquila, we're not told how long that Apollos stayed there, but their relationship with Apollos wasn't that long. After they shared with him, then he moved right on. And yet God placed them in that place because he knew that Priscilla and Aquila were the ones that could help Apollos continue his transformation of faith in Jesus Christ. And so, God wants us all to be discipleship makers. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for how you have uniquely created us. And God, I pray that you would um, help us notice the divine appointments that you bring in our life. That you would allow us to see um, who you might desire for us to invest our lives into. And so, God, we um, thank you for the privilege to partner with you and be about your business and uh, be your witnesses here on this earth and help others grow in their faith of Jesus Christ so that all of our lives can be transformed from the inside out and so that when you return or we go and see you before you return, that we are more and more like the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior.
So now go in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that He is with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He guides your every step. And let's be about the business of making disciples. And the sooner we get this work done, the sooner we can all go and be in the presence of Jesus and just kind of leave this shooting match behind and let God take it from there. Amen? So go disciple makers and make disciples. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.